Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out what it's like to live in a world that's beyond your imaginations. So we have to do it for you. Hmm. The world of pure imagination? Where you too can be a purple glob and get squeezed out in the, in the pressing room. <laughs> Didn't Disney do something like that? Yeah. yeah a, all right. Anyways, uh, yeah. This week we are talking about uh, adventuring on worlds that are far advanced over what we consider to be our present civilization on Earth. Uh, this, you know, we're we're not talking about the, you know. The, the simple stuff like the Buck Rogers stuff, you know, we're, uh, we're talking about really advanced stuff. So we're going to go over all the different things we can think of. And of course, where you're welcome to chime in later on our various Facebook and other uh, Discord and other servers to let us know what you think would be something we missed. That, that reminds me of a, a story I remember reading where uh, they found a way to, you know, deal with do star travel. That is, people who travel stars didn't do anywhere close to speed of light. But what they did was they timed, they basically put themselves in slow time, mm-hmm. and they basically, yeah, it's a it's a hundred year trip for them. It's a week. The original puppet masters Heinlein. There was a drug called Tempest Fugit, and you could you, basically you you uh, it was a couple of hours, but you for you it was a week during the period of time. And they even said there was a story about some guy that had had died of old age by using the drug, but you know, uh, and, and in a week, in a week, he'd lived an entire lifespan. Oh yeah. There was one of uh, Larry Niven's guild, guild, the guild of arms stories where a guy realized, okay, stasis field slows people down. What if we do the opposite? Well, that's, that's, that's the other one. That's the time compression. Yeah. And he used it to commit murder with. He just threw some in the field, turned up to, say, a thousand years in an hour. Right. People were dead. (laughs) That's kind of like the spell Time Stop, where in in OGL, where you cast it, and within a certain radius, you can act freely. Everybody else is Mm -hmm. basically immobile. And you can do things like move things around and heal yourself up. Yeah, same thing, just... Okay, yeah, I'm like time compression. I didn't get what you meant until yeah, it has a lot of utility, Trav, because you know there's certain things that take time. Okay, casting processes. You know, certainly when you're dealing with large objects like big steel girders and things like that, they can't just go and like you know throw you know uh, liquid nitrogen at it and expect it to end up being right. Okay, so you, if you if you want to get a thousand of these things and it takes a week to properly cast each one, then it's going to, you know, then you either have to have a thousand setups or it's going to take a thousand weeks 
Or in this case, you simply have the entire process inside one of these time um, uh, time compression bubbles, and it only takes an hour. But inside, it took a week. Yeah. Yeah. What comes out at the other end doesn't care that it took. You know, it did. It was normal time. So you can have all kinds of manufacturing processes that literally are punch pumping out things that normally would take a much longer period of time in, in just a fraction. Or you're doing some sort of computational thing that, you know, they look and say, yeah, 10 years to compute this. And someone says, how reliable is that computer? Wait, wait, will it run for 10 years before before it breaks down? Yeah. You, no, it won't break down. Okay. We put in the field. And an hour later, we got our answer. Yeah. I mean, right now, nobody, all these drives that say, is, you know, it's got like 800,000 hours between failure. They didn't take that, that hard drive, any hard drive, and basically run it for 800,000 hours. They took 800,000, you know, uh, uh, hard drives and they ran them for an hour and they saw what percentage of them failed during that period of time and then basically did the calculation. It's lying statistics. So, yeah, this way you'd have a real story. Paint drying. Good example. <laughs> Grass growing, you know. I mean, you could literally, you know, grow an entire, you know, uh, turn a house and do all the outside vegetation and stuff, and you know, make soil become become uh, fully. Uh, it takes like twenty years to make a really good soil because of all the microbial growth and everything that has to go and work its way through all the layers and such. Well, and in a time, you know, compression field uh, uh, like this, you could get that done in, in a, again, a fraction of the time. Yeah. And if you can make them big enough, you can do an entire planet that way. Exactly. I'm probably sure that that's exactly what, what the uh, engineers of Magrathea did. Yeah, or that's may how that uh, what's it thing from Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Search for Spock, Genesis device, Genesis device, yes. Genesis device, the, yes, the Genesis because it came up and produced an entire plant. Either it was a mega transporter building things, or it was a super time compression device that made a planet. Right, because it, it had fully developed plants there. I would say it's probably teleportation device because it's energy matter conversion. Oh, it didn't, it didn't look like a teleporter. It looked like it actually, I agree with the energy matter conversion, Trav, but I think it energy matter converted what was there. Yeah, right, exactly. Because it would take a dead planet and reconfigure the matter on it to make atmosphere and even plants grow. So it may have been, but well, because if plants were growing at an accelerated rate, it may have been both an EM converter and a time compression field. It would have to be in order to make plants grow as quick as it did. Or it, li or it literally made them in full form in mature versions. No, no. Even if, if you remember Star Trek III, Carol Mar the original Carol Marcus, um, B.B. Besh, not this new Alice Eve one. Anyways, she said, and you see the things, the water forming and the plants growing. And she said they grow at an accelerated rate. So you would have to have a time compression field to do that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So probably use a time compression with a little bit of matter, a little bit of transporter buffer. You a know, lot of matter transformation. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, transfer buffer buffer patterns for the uh for the initial for the initial plants. Well, yeah, because you would you yeah, you John, you'd have to have a template for let's say you want to grow. 
And I, yeah, and yes, John, don't even please. I'm going to ask you, please don't get started. Well, you can't have simple climate planets like go with me here. Well, you can't. But anyway, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, if, if you make a plant with no axial tilt, yeah, you can have a single climate. Well, like like Tatooine, it's an entire desert planet. And people in the science community pick that apart. Anyways, let's say you want to make oh a rainforest planet, like the entire planet, the major climb is like of the Amazon. You still would have to have the templates for the types of plants that could grow in a tropical, humid environment like in the Amazon. And so you would have... You need big oceans so you get the evaporation. Yeah, yeah. But still, you would still need templates for the plant genetics in order to grow those. So you would have, those could be put in a quote unquote transporter buffer. Yeah. You would still need that template. Yeah. I mean, in, in the move, in the, in the uh, search for Spock, she meant, you know, in the novelization, which I found Dean Foster, she hinted that there were things in that little bubble she made that, well, it may not be on the, you know, may not exactly be, you know, there may be dragons there. You know, hey, you can add things that don't exist. Well, no, they already said, I, I believe that they already said that they had to fudge things a bit for that. Oh, they, they, they use protomatter, which is, yeah, uh, that's what, yeah. I'm not sure what protomatter is, but with magic. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, that, is, that's, that is a great way of using a compression, you know, a time compression device to speed everything up. And then you turn it off after a while. Well, dude, you'd have to give it a set limit, or otherwise it would run rampant. God only knows what would happen. Now, now, John, you already mentioned the uh, Gil Hamilton story where they used uh, time compression as as a as a weapon. But what you did was you said somebody went in there and aged. Okay, there was another thing that they did there as well, which is that they they had a flashlight. And the flashlight was inside the time compression field, which meant that it was able to expend its entire batteries, you know, producing light and heat like it would normally do at the end, which meant when it came out of the, the field, it basically was like all the light from all that came out at once. And so you, something as simple as a flashlight produces a death ray. Oh, it, even better than that, it was blue shifted up into up into the X up into the UV and high, and maybe low X-ray level. All those photons, all that energy was able to be released at once out of something that seemed fairly benign. Okay, and so the end result was you end up with a huge amount of energy expenditure off of something that really didn't seem like it was going to be able to produce that kind of energy, and and so you got essentially the. Uh, you know, the, the cartridge lasers, you know, it's such they could produce this massive amount of energy and, and produce this really, you know, this killer beam or whatever it is. Okay. But at the same time, you don't have to think of it as being something that's that if you dropped it on the ground, it would explode into a nuclear bomb. Oh yeah. I mean, basically take a, uh, your standard, uh, you know, high end laser pointer, you know, the kind you have to get a license for. Uh, yeah, you got raving death beam right there, <laughs> you know. And no one's moving any outside. You just go, he's standing absolutely still. You just aim at his head, forehead, and you put on the tripod so his sister keeps aiming at his forehead, and you walk away. <laughs> right. And this could be useful, I mean, in, 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 in a world, okay? It's not just a weapon. I mean, you could also be used in um, 
uh, in construction. It could be used, uh, you know, uh, perhaps even as a form of um, of conveyance. You know, make boosters. Actually, energy generation. You got yourself that little green laser, but now it's pointing at something that will generate energy from you know some reaction, and you just got a big box of batteries that keep it keep it going for months and months and months of time. And the, but on the outside, it runs for like half an hour, runs for like for ten minutes, and it dumps all that energy all at once into wherever you need to generate you know generate and store the energy for. Which would like be a form of propulsion, which I think is what I was just talking about. Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So propulsion or anything else. I mean, I just saying because you can take, you know, take something and concentrate its energy, you know, basically expend it in a fraction of the time that it seems to think that it's doing, you end up with devices that don't have to be anywhere near as robust as they would be if they were actually producing such a massive amount of energy. I mean, right now, copper wire, I mean, it's it's one of our best conductors, but it still only allows so much energy to pass down through it. So, and if you try to pass more, you melt the copper. But if you had uh, this time dilation field where it was a thousand to one ratio, then you're now moving a thousand times as much energy down that same amount of copper in the same observable amount of time. So there's a lot of things that you could do that normally you wouldn't be able to do at all, assuming, of course, that this time dilation is simple and doesn't require a lot of energy itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking that that would be – the question is how movable is the bubble rate for the time compression? If it's not at all you – know, if it's more or less a fixed place in time, so to speak, yeah, not moving it. If it can be moved, all right, so that's a drive. A small one around a, a small ion thruster, turn it on, and you're moving at one G because you're taking all that ion, taking those ions and you're accelerating them up to whatever you need to make the ship move at one G. Hmm. And you don't need big fuel tanks; you just need a big tank of cesium. <laughs> you know, I mean that that unfortunately never never explored those that side of his technology. He conveniently forgot. The, his time compression field for later stories. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, uh, the next one is a little bit more uh, uh, weird science. Tapping into the uh, collective unconscious of all living things. The morphic field. The Akashic record. Yeah. That. Okay. Go ahead. T- t- tell us, Trap. Uh, the Akashic record is what I've heard it called as. Mm-hmm. How does it work? From what I've read, it usually comes up as like a psychic type thing where you're just sort of open yourself to the ether and you sort of pick out information that just everybody seems to have. It's sort of like a collective consciousness and the way that they do it for the second world. And you know, I use the second world source book, Bureau 13. Yeah. Um, it's sort of motes of light. It's kind of like a cosmic library, for lack of a better term. And you search through it, and you can find information. It may be a little dated because it goes back a long way, but the length and breadth of information is incredible. And just you can find out about other dimensions, other times, through this cognate architecture. That's what they called it. And But yeah, uh, the Akashic Field... Kind of the same thing. It's just where it's kind of like a 
psychic internet would be the best way to describe it. So here, here what you have here is you have individuals who are not connected to each other in any observable fashion. Okay, and we're not just talking about the. We could just talk about the individuals that are alive today, you know, on other planets and other universes or whatever. Or you could even say that this is not bounded even by time. So every person who's ever lived are all connected together in this collective unconsciousness. So you have the ability, as you said, to just say simply, if you can tap into it, you can get the experiences of somebody who lived, you know, two, three hundred years ago. You want to think about, well, what was, you know, Rome like? Well, or what was your planet like 300 years ago? Well, you could get that information because it's all part of the collective unconscious. Nothing is lost. Everything, you know. Uh, resonates and, and vibrates forever is the idea. And the fact that the, the people are separated, it's, it's okay. There's no, you know, there's no time. They're all still connected somehow. Everything that is alive is connected. I'm getting two references here with this. Quantum Leap and the Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour movie Somewhere in Time. Those are the two things that are pinging. Uh, yeah, okay. The second one I might be stretching, but definitely Quantum Leap I could see because, excuse me, Sam Beckett was bouncing into the lives of people in the past and gaining information that way. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm also thinking of a fiction story. I think it was by Asimov. It's exact name, but there's a planet where basically everyone everyone knows everyone. It's the best way to describe it. From the smallest blade of grass to the biggest predator, they're all part of this hive mind. And basically, they see humans say, "Oh, these pure, poor humans. We need to, we need to bring them into the fold." And so the stories, of course, is how humans try to, um, you know, not be melted into the fold. And it's about one little brave warrior of of, of 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 the of the collective, and poor thing, and his poor attempt at uh, trying to you know turn Earth into another hive mind. And but yeah, it was one of those things where everyone in that world was connected. It was just a massive hive mind. Every living thing uh, was trying to turn humans into uh, more 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 of the uh, hive mind. But it doesn't have to. In a sense, where you lose your identity, okay, it could just as that's what we talk about the collective unconsciousness. I mean, people are just people, they're going around, but their experiences can be tapped from this collect this lower level of brain function that somehow is able to, to bridge over to every other mind so you can pull from it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it and that's, that's sort of like the morphic field theory. I uh, came up with for some of the uh, tri checkings where everyone's all humans are empathic to some to some extent. This is why we we're social creatures because we all basically share empathic feelings with each other, and just some get better at it than others, at, and they can become telepathic. But yeah, there's this underlying. I mean, it doesn't have to even give information. It just, it just makes everyone, um, well, you know, realizing that er, that everyone else's are people. You know, they're they're individuals. They're not they're not meat bots that you can command. <laughs> if you get my if you get my drift in that one, so it, it's a, it, it could be something you know simple as that, where the unconsciousness is just some sort of you know big you know brain you know big um, field that makes everyone friends. 
Well, you do realize what this, I'm reading this and I'm kicking myself for not realizing it. The force. That could be the same thing. That's a really good example. Thank you, Trev. Yep. Yep. The force is everywhere. Yeah. Tapping into the collective unconscious of all living things. Yeah. Because one of the biggest things in the force is telepathic and mind control content where you get in that well and you can sense past, future, what's going on presently, um, uh, clairvoyance, clairaudience type things. Yeah. Can't, can't believe I, that just now came to me. It didn't come right away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the force projection, he's not physically forcing a projection through time and space. He's basically letting the force do it. Yeah. I'm also considering uh, the connectivity of people who use spice in Dune. Spice users see the future. They see the past. They see all. Yeah. And they see all the connectivity between people, people who, you know, especially when they, uh, and that's why they could navigate, yeah, because they could see light years away. I'm talking about the Freeman. Would, oh, okay. they, would, they would drink from the water of life and have this basically big mine orgy. That's what they put. They had a big mine orgy. <laughs> yeah, they also found out Jessica's pregnant, too. Yes. And oh, you you're pregnant and you took water of life? Bad things will happen <laughs> to that. Actually, kid. good things happen. Good things, bad things, depends on your point of view. If, you, if you're a Harkonnen, bad things happened. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some little girl didn't have a childhood. Yeah. But bad, but worse things were happening on that world than that. So I guess it's all good. Um, the, the example I was thinking of when I saw this was uh, book four of the uh, Skywalker Seve series, uh, where they run into the... Um, uh, amoebic creatures, which were the big bad guys in all all of uh, E. e. Doc Smith's books, and they were essentially uh, they they had sent they had taken over. They were dominating an entire galaxy uh, of planets, mostly you know enslaved the humans, which were all over those planets. You know, is there were uh, all, there were lots of humans everywhere, and there were only a few really alien races uh, in the Skylark of Space series, and the and the amoebic ones were the worst. They were they were terrible. So they uh, they said, well, we got to do something about this, and we don't know how to do it. And even the wise old you know ancients who you know the oldest civilization in our galaxy had no idea what to do. So they actually run into these women who are as you'd call them today witches. Um, and they said, well, there's this thing we can do, and we might be able to get the information we need from somewhere. And they're like, okay, fine. And they set it all up and whatever. And what happens is, is that they, you know, they, they talk, they said it's the collective unconsciousness. They essentially from everybody somewhere that they, they essentially download the information they need in order to build teleporters big enough to move planets. Mm. So essentially they just build these things where they go and they grab a planet that doesn't have any people on it and they throw it at, you know, at a world that has, um, you know, uh, uh, has the lizard guys. In, I mean, I'm sorry. It has the amoebic guys in it and, uh, or they throw it into the sun. Actually, I think they were grabbing their sons. They were grabbing their sons and throwing it into the sun with the amoebic people. And of course, if there were any planets around the, the target sun that had humans, they'd grab those 
and put them onto an into an, an, a third galaxy uh, where they were leaving it all alone, except they were adding a few extra planets. Uh, so what you ended up with was like one planet, one galaxy that was like a super flame. It was just the whole galaxy was in flame because all its stars were exploding. And then we had the one galaxy where it, it was pretty dim because it lost a lot of stars because <laughs> they essentially were millions of stars were being moved around. This is not super science. This is cosmic science. Right. Well, okay. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Gorham Logan. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but that's, uh, but I'm saying that was the example they had, whereas they, they somehow were able to pull that information. It's so like they said, everything that's in reality, you know, ha there has to have a, a kind of a, if everything in reality had self-awareness, if you had self-understanding, then you'd be able to say, well, I'm put together this way and these are my attributes and therefore this is what you can do with me. So essentially the universe was informing them what they needed to do in order to do what they wanted to do. And that was what they, and the, the end of which they said, you know, maybe someday in the future, people will figure out how, you know, what a scientific terms for what we're doing. And then maybe everybody can do it. But for now, only certain people that have this ability and other people that can be sensitized to it are going to do it. And that's why we did it. And, and, and that's, and that was the essence, the end of that story. You know, they, 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 they basically saved an entire galaxy of uh, of humans from being under the the uh, the thumb or pseudopod of the evil you know the the, the evil uh, amoebic people so but that's the kind of, now how that would work on a world again like I said that's if you if you had the ability just to simply go at any time you needed to understand something you could just simply sit down and bring it in. Then... That sort of reminds me of Andre Norton's novels, which, you know, because she had witches and rocket ships and, or he. Right. But the way I'm trying to put this, John, to you is, is that you go to this world and you walk up to people and say, hey, you know, uh, what's there to do around here? And they say, well, what do you want to do? And he says, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, build a, build a spaceship. You know, uh, and you're like, well, go ahead. Well, how do I do that? Oh, well, you just sit over there and you get in a low position. You say these words and it'll come to you. And you do that and you sit down there. And after meditating for eight hours or so, all of a sudden, you know how to build the beginnings of a spaceship. And as time goes on, as you build the ship, more information comes and more information comes until finally you get it completed. You're like, oh, look, I made a spaceship. Okay. I, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a similarity to this for um, Farscape when Crichton got the wormhole knowledge, but they told him you can only access it when you're ready. And basically it would come to him. The more he would understand, the more he would get. Yeah. Kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's move on to number seven, creating areas with different physics. Pocket universes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, heck, we already talked about it. If you can create time compression uh, or time dilation or time dilation, you literally are creating an area that has different physics. Yeah, yeah. Because time moves at a different rate. Yeah, but if you're talking about different things such as, you know, you create a world where, okay, 
you know, some physical concept. It, 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 you know, it, 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 this again falls into if you know what you're doing, you can create something that you can still go in and not die instantly because you you because you don't actually operate by the same laws of physics in that world. Right, your reality doesn't live in that world. Yeah, but it also doesn't make that world just go into um, plasma, you know, because it, you know, you have to get everything right, and you know, maybe to go there, you have to use your mental things to, to take over. You know, hey, you got to use the avatar program and take over one of the locals, and you know, right. But it also could be something where you're, um, you know, you're using the the different physics to do certain kinds of manufacturing. You know, maybe you need different laws of physics in order to generate uh, a sufficient number. Let's say, you know, a lot of antimatter. Maybe by making this little bubble with these different kinds of rules, antimatter is the norm in that universe. And then at the end of which, you might be able to decan it out. Okay, so impossible materials might no longer be impossible. Antimatter is one of the examples I thought of where it's really, really, really hard to get any amount of them. The only, yeah, the only thing I, I know of with creating areas with different physics, again, the, the PACT system that I referred to with um, the Cognate Architecture, they have a power called Dimensional Nexus. Now, the game application would be, oh, you're in a magic world, but you come from, you know, the, the first world, you know, modern day. I want to be able to use guns, but in this world, they don't allow. To me, that's the closest I can see to, quote unquote, creating areas with different physics where, oh, I want, you know, gunpowder to work. I'll merge the aspects of these universes together so I can do it. Granted, it's only a 30-foot radius, but yeah, that that's the closest thing I can come to number seven is that particular talent i've never heard of how other than that the whole time uh dilation fields are the only other thing i could think of for that well there was one uh, it, it, they don't actually create the field at least the humans don't but uh, aliens in another another different universe uh the gods themselves by uh isaac asimov the 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 bit that connects the two worlds is that they they create plutonium 186 and I understand this, it can't exist in our universe. So it immediately decays to tungsten 186 and producing energy. Hey, we have a way to make energy. Limitless, unlimited energy. Just keeps making, you know, just keep making tungsten, which we have to get rid of afterwards. But it, yeah, it, it turns tungsten into plutonium and then it turns back to tungsten and releases energy. Oh, wait a minute. Creating, area, creating areas with different physics. Duh. Farscape again. Yeah. Um, Einstein the ancient that made the sort of buffer area that drew Crichton in for the episode, um, unrealized realities. He had to make an area where physics could be where, I mean, they were altering ancients anyways to be able to interact with the humans, but he had to create that buffer zone in the wormhole universe, for lack of a better term. So John could interact with Einstein. Yes, right. Okay, yeah. Sure. Basically, creating a pocket universe that you can enter. Um, I mean, theoretically, nothing. no one says that the pocket universe can be something you can actually see. It can be folded into uh, extra space, and you just have to know how to get at that extra space. 
Um, you know, but if you can make a pocket universe, that's just that's not a problem. You know, <laughs> getting in there and pulling what you need out. Uh, hopefully, you can pull out something that doesn't immediately decay into photons on you at that point. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't have any good examples of what it would be like to live on a world like that because everything that I do is is really a, just a ton of hand waving. Like, well, what you know, I had one world uh, where every five miles an hour you moved, you lost half your mass, but you didn't lose any of your size. It was just kind of like a mind experiment, you know what I'm saying? Is the this explanation of the high sick level extra. The ships have nowhere they have no worry about they don't have to worry about heat because they don't produce any. They somehow manage to send heat to another to another universe. So their drives just can you know are god awful drives. They put lots of energy, but it goes into a different universe. Right. It's the ultimate heat sink. Okay. And I'm looking at it going, and you just made a uh, perpetual motion machine. Yay. Uh, if you can send heat to the other universe, you've done away with most of the problems of perpetual motion machines. If you can create some way of sending energy someplace else or pulling energy from someplace else, you got zero point energy. Right. But yes, you got zero point energy, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> As far as we can tell, we are pretty much balanced for our to exist. All the various constants that need to be set correctly, and you fill just one, <clears throat> you don't get stars. You fill the other way, you get a universe the size of your fist. Uh, you gotta know what you're doing with those physical, creating those little new, different physical properties. You, you're literally, you're literally are tweaking something by something incredibly small just to get a totally different effect. Right. And it probably would be a very, very small or, you know, you add extra dimensions and somehow that changes stuff. Cause I know there's supposed to be like 12 or more dimensions, but most of them are curled up really tiny and they, they stay out of the way. Uh, Robert Heinlein, you go back to an, an old author. Uh, he built a crooked house. Somehow or another, they build they build a house that during an earthquake folds in on itself and becomes a hypercube. It was a tesseract. Yeah, yeah. A tesseract. Right, but that was still that's not changing the it's not changing the physics. It just happened to be extruded into other dimensions. That does kind of change the physics, but anyway, <laughs> I don't think so. But okay, uh, it's, <laughs> all right. So uh, and then the the last one I have on this list, and, pl and there, I mean of of the anything that seems to negate one or more laws of physics or causality, um, existing without sustenance. Oh, energy beings. Yeah. Yeah, basically, that's the only way. Energy beings have the same problem. You know, I, I had in one story, they called a character a standing wave of energy, you know. And I've used that, where you basically just have a wall of energy. It's They, they put it up, it became stable, and, it's, and it just it just lasts and it never goes down and it serves its function, whatever that might be. So, but if you have somebody who essentially doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to breathe, doesn't need to do anything yet still is able to move and act and do other things, then you're, you're basically existing without sustenance. Marvel wonder man, Simon Williams, Basically, his the, the he's a cosmic powered being that gives him you know his strength and flight and all that, and he has the power. And God, I remember this from the old Marvel superhero game, environmental indifference. 
is how they describe it. Basically, no eat, no breathe, no sleep, no, you know, he doesn't need any of that. Silver Surfer. Yeah. Once he got converted into the Silver Surfer, he... Right, he's powered by the power, the power cosmic. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, of the, any of the ancients from the Marvel Universe have pretty much fallen into that, you know. Uh, fall into that range too. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Ego sort of fell in that uh, as well. Um, he was one of those things that, yeah, yeah, eh, eh, I don't need to really eat. It's fun. It tastes good, but I don't need to eat. Right. Um, uh, Captain Jack Harkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he was buried in concrete for a century. And uh, at the end of which he was fine. I mean, he was really unhappy being buried you know, without air or water or anything else. It's kind of like he need, he wanted it, but obviously he didn't need it. But, you know, but it, it was required for his happy functioning. But, you know, he was mi- very, very miserable for a century. But at the end of which, he was uh, he was moving around like, like nothing had happened. Unfortunately, for some reason, his body withers away, becomes a giant head. Well, yeah, we don't know understand that at all. But yes, yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah. But uh <laughs> that's I, that was very but that's a long that's even longer in the future there, you know. Oh, what's his name from Star Trek? Uh the guy who was who was immortal as long as he stayed on Earth. Uh got his name on Earth. Mm. He basically they ran he basically he was immortal. He you know, he wrote, he wrote uh, Mozart. He was Mozart at one time, I believe, or something like that. And, and he was a, an immortal. And I don't remember if he, if he needed food or not. Well, I'm pretty sure he did. But I'm saying, you know, we're not talking about being immortal or eternal. We're talking about where somebody literally doesn't seem to need anything. I mean, they, they seem to exist in a, a quantum state where... You know, even though they're able to progress, think and act and do, you know, exert energy, they don't seem to need any of it themselves. It just seems to, like I said, the the cue. Yeah. Okay. Now they 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 didn't exactly do that. They um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was a um, a comic series where this guy basically falls into this bath of like zero point energy, and he just infuses every cell in his body. And from that point on, he essentially could do whatever he wants to. He always has all the energy he needs. But that kind of falls into our third category rather than this one right here. Yeah, and that includes Doctor Manhattan as well. Right, he's right. along that same line too. He gets taken apart and re and reassembled into some sort of quantum state, where he basically exists through all of time, at least from his creation on on forward. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and he doesn't, and he doesn't really need anything. You yeah, know? And as a matter of fact, his biggest problem is staying interested in anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. because you know, and that's. And that's and that could be a really big problem. You go to a world like that where nobody needs, you know, everyone's needs are fulfilled physically, okay, in the sense that they don't need to eat, they don't need to breathe, they don't need to excrete. They're just basically existing. Uh, you might, I mean, the question rises: Would this be a really static society, or would they all become, you know, great artists and and whatever, or would they just engage in constant warfare with each other because? They're bored. Or you have the situation of, uh, what is it? Uh, I have no mouth. I must scream. 
where, yeah, you're, you're going to live forever. You won't like it. Right. In the bowels of the machine, he kept them going. Because at one point they even said, they said, you know, we, we don't know how we were able to keep going. I mean, it was, we felt like our insides were literally eating our, uh, uh, eating themselves. But, you know, but the, because it took us weeks, even months to go from one place to another that the machine was forcing them to go. Uh, but somehow they managed to keep going. Uh, at the end of which they, they were, Still unhappy, still living, still in one piece. They didn't like eat themselves in order to keep going. They literally were just themselves. Yeah, I mean, going back to the thing we mentioned at the beginning of, of, of this, the the Krell machine. Theoretically, the Krell machine could just simply make sure you had all the nutrients you need. You didn't have to eat. It just put them right in your body, and you're you're sated. You don't have to uh, eat or drink. Or do other things like get rid of what you ate and eat. It just it just maintains you. You get glucose basically uh, subliminally dripped into your bloodstream necessary. So you you could like say something like I'm going to walk across the United you know the, their version of the United States. Okay, we'll see you in a couple of years, and you just start walking, and you know, and you have adventures along the way. You make up songs, you do whatever you want to, because you never have to worry about. I mean, occasionally you might want to take a bath, you know, just get the dust off, right? you know, maybe get the bird nest out of your hair or whatever. But you just can do whatever you want to because your physical needs are no longer an issue for you in any way. But you're still existing in a physical environment. You're still interacting with other people. And everyone's like the same way is that they, I mean, just think about, you know, your own life. Okay. How much goes into keeping your body going? You know, I mean, you wouldn't need, you know, I mean, maybe you probably wouldn't need doctors anymore or dentists or any of those things because your teeth wouldn't decay because you're not putting food in your mouth and all the rest of it. Yeah. Speaking of Clark, there's, there's his 2001 series and David Bowman. Who basically, once you become Star Child, he's now this being that can exist without eating or sustenance. And he's through the entire series of uh, the 2001, 2010, and 2050, or 30 or 3000. Yeah, yeah. And he's through the entire series. Yeah. He, he, he basically doesn't, he can, he, can, he can manifest and he can become thought. I don't want to call him energy being because he's more like thought than anything else. You know, he exists without having to eat and, and he's still a kid. That's why he was a star child. He's still learning. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, and, 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 uh, you know, and theoretically, if you existed without sustenance, you might actually not actually age either because you don't have all those, those things, you know, that are, are your cells replacing themselves or are your cells just never dying? I mean, you know, you're you're existing without food and everything. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's an interesting question. It could go a lot of different directions. It could be like you say, you go in there and the crawl machine just basically just pumps you full of whatever you need to keep going as long as you're there. So you're still breathing. You can't. I mean, you can still drown. You can still suffocate. Why would you drown? I mean, the Krell machine may simplify things that, okay, your in innards are really complex. Let's simplify them. And, and you wouldn't and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> you know, they may give you what you need in order to live. But, for example, if you go to the bottom of the ocean, you could still die from pressure shock. 
or something. I'm just saying is that you wouldn't be immune to physical harm. Okay, uh, you might still get tired. You might still need to sleep. You know, you. I'm not quite sure what would happen if you had sex. Okay, uh, probably the same, you know same thing. I mean, does the does you know the babies continue to need the mother for sustenance, or does the baby now get its own sustenance and and uh, the uh, amniotic sac just withers away from the womb and the baby just comes sliding out of, at a quarter its size and just you just set it into a little chamber and wait for it to grow up to be the proper size when you can just, you know, I don't know. I mean, if it, it gets what it needs, why not at an infant size? Why not at a fetus size? Or whatever is keeping you alive without believes in Malthusian progression and doesn't, you, know, you don't get pregger, preggers when you have sex. <laughs> well, I'm just saying is if, if, if it's, if it's simply limiting itself to providing you the nutrients you need in order to survive, then a baby conceived the, you know, by the normal way that you would do it uh, would not need the mother in order to grow and, and I'm a, a human being. So, uh, like I said, it might be the reaction of the woman's body might be just to re, just to reject it because there's no there's no reason for the the amniotic uh, amniotic sac to, to stick up to her body walls, and the baby might just slide on out and be uh, and just grow you know wherever it landed you know assuming that you this was done intelligently and they just basically your body you start going through contractions and, and maybe we will not have to suffer the pains of, of, uh, of childbirth anymore. You know, I mean, literally the baby would come out when it's small enough that it wouldn't, re wouldn't require discomfort. And you just take the baby in its little amniotic sac and sit it over in a nice warm dish somewhere. And it slowly develops into a full size baby and then comes out and joins the family. Artificial wound, womb, whatever you know. It wouldn't even be artificial; it'd be its own womb. Okay, its own, its own body production. You know, I mean, the, all the things that a baby lives in is its own body flesh. Wow, and it, and of course, if you also add in the uh, collective unconscious, it wakes up and hi, ma. Soon as the vocal cord, soon as the vocal, it might actually start talking you in its amniotic sac before it's actually ready to be birthed. It waves high. You know, it makes scissors motions with its fingers. <laughs> you, you, do, you do big a boot in six months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not creepy at all. It's very creepy, but also very kind of cool because if all that could happen like that, then you could, it would be, all, it would be a different world. It definitely would be a different society and such, you know. As long as you know you, and you could do amazing things that you normally couldn't do because you know you wouldn't have to worry about uh, probably uh, um, lung function. You know, if you want to run a marathon, you have your blood remains oxygenated. You know, even if your lungs can't keep up. So getting rid of the waste products might be an issue, but you know, still, I mean, if the curl machine is keeping everything on the stasis then, uh, yeah, you can just run forever or swim forever or, you know, wh whatever you want to do. I'm going to climb the tallest mountain. Yeah, climb the tallest mountain without oxygen, then jump off. And die. Well, we, we'll debate about the wisdom of that, but, you know. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them.
And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.